film and television. Merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. So, hey, folks, thanks so much for joining us again for Between the Bannisters podcast. Welcome back. I'm very excited today because um, this is the first, it's actually, I think it's the first sequel. Maybe not so much, but I'm um, just excited to talk about it because it's a very groovy movie and it's the second James Cameron movie that we've talked about um, on the podcast, which through his ups and downs, I do enjoy the man's film. So I'm very excited. So today we are talking to Will Hirsch and Will is a screenwriter and director originally from Phoenix, Arizona, but now splits his time between there and Los Angeles. And for the better part of a decade, he has worked in independent film, writing and directing several short films. And in 2019, Will was hired to co-write and script supervise Scare Us, a horror anthology feature working with several of his former film school classmates. And Scare Us was released in the summer of 2021 and can be found on most of video on demand platforms. And while he has one foot in film, the other is online. Will is also a digital producer for the nationally syndicated television show Right This Minute, writing stories that entertain and inform viewers about the biggest viral videos on the web. If you'd like to read some of Will's work, the first seven chapters of his sci-fi adventure novel, The Sea Scraper, are available on his social media pages for free, but only for now, because you're going to have to pay for it, because not everything is free. The full novel will be available later this year as an ebook. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> every time I read everybody's bios, I'm like, ah, people are freaking cool. I like this. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. So, Will, thank you so much for joining us. I'll go ahead and yeah. say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, so tell them about what we're talking about today, because I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm excited to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, so today we're talking about, it's my favorite movie of all time. It's Terminator 2. Judgment um, Day. Judgment Day. <laughs> um, which, when I, I was a little kid, when I saw this movie, I didn't quite understand what that title meant. I did not grow up in a very religious household, so I didn't quite understand the meaning of sure. that. Um, I didn't know if it was like an actual holiday or, uh, I was not very sure what was going on, but yeah, this is my absolute favorite movie of all time. I saw it when I was really, really young. Um, I saw it when I was five and, uh, I saw it in the movie theaters. It hadn't just come out, uh, cause I, my grandpa would take me to movies all the time mm -hmm. and he would, uh, every Wednesday we'd get out early from school. He would pick me up and we'd go either see a movie or rent a movie. And that day we went to the Dollar Theater. So it had already been out for about six months or so. Okay. But uh, yeah, I was very young when I saw this. And uh, my parents were initially kind of upset. But as my mom told me recently, when uh, she was asking me about the movie, and you know, she was worried about like, well, isn't there violence? And isn't there all this? As a little kid, my answer was apparently, mom, it's only a movie. And so she was like... <laughs> Well, okay, he'll be fine then. And from that point on, I it was never like really supervised about what movies I was watching because it was clear I understood this isn't real. Yeah. This is a movie. Right. So I saw a ton of movies 
that were very, very rated R at a very young age, but it got me into filmmaking. And this was kind of the spark that like set me down that path. I love that. No, and it's so funny because I feel like I've seen, when I was a kid, my oldest sister um, used to take me to the movies all the time because my mother would make her. She was going someplace, going somewhere with her friends. Well, take your sister. My sister would be like, oh my God. So we're 10 years, we're 10 years apart. Like I'm no fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a kid. And I remember seeing, and it's so weird. I remember seeing uh, Rick Springfield's Hard to Hold movie. Nice. My sister took me to see that. And he had a full, like, I think he was either full frontal or like his, ass was showing and I was there at the theater and there's like what am I gonna do and then I told you saw my mom, Rick and the Springfield I did and the Springfield which one who knows um yeah. <laughs> but it's like my mother was she was appalled but then I was just like Meh. and then that was kind of the end of it so I mean I understand mm -hmm. where you know you got that kind of leeway and we also grew up in a, in a time where everything was on tv like HBO mm -hmm. Cinemax they were playing whatever all time of the day, except for like Skinamax, which was like late right. at night. But they would play it whenever. So it's nice to have that that kind of leeway to, to just enjoy film and mm -hmm. even, you know, let it be what it what it is. So what is it about this film where you feel that this was a formative film for you? Yeah. So, you know, at that age, um, I was not unfamiliar with Schwarzenegger. I had seen uh, I had seen other Schwarzenegger movies um, before, but that was definitely the most um, intense and kind of grown-up dark one I had seen at that point. And before that, you know, all my entertainment was very much like Transformers, Ninja Turtles. I was very, very into all that. It was the first movie I had seen where it had robots, it had time travel, it had all these kind of sci-fi elements, but took it very seriously. It, it was not kidding around. It, there was no, like punches pulled it was like treating it deadly serious like there's a nuclear holocaust that's going to happen yeah and nobody seems to really care about it everybody <laughs> just thinks like the one person who knows well she's crazy you know we'll lock her away and and just everybody is just kind of like moving out their lives with this kind of like creeping horrible thing on the horizon right and as a little kid seeing a subject a sci-fi subject matter treated as an adult movie like it, it took a while but it stuck with me for a long time even to like when I started to get to like junior high and high school when I started really writing my own stories that really was sinking in of like just because it is this genre piece doesn't mean it can't tackle big heavy issues and treat it with like the gravity that it deserves and so that really it took a long time for me to understand that's why I kept going back to it because I, I would rewatch it numerous times. You know, I've owned it on every format and mm -hmm. I've watched it, I don't know how many countless times since then, but <laughs> even as a kid, I just kept coming back to it because there was something about the way it was all done to where it's, it's not, you know, it's not like a typical GI Joe movie where it's, right. Oh, so the end of the world, change. but it's, it's very silly, you know, yeah. and this was very much like, this is not silly. This is stuff that can happen. We're just using the genre to kind of make you aware of these kind of impending doom uh, scenarios. Yeah. And what's so um, interesting about uh, what you just said about how it was taking it something, there's a particular like gravity to, to this one, as opposed to the first Terminator. And not to mm -hmm. say that the first Terminator was silly. It was 
very pulp and it was very glossy it was very 80s but mm-hmm. it was very you know it was not done before and mm-hmm. it definitely was a standout but this one was really brighter even the, mm-hmm. co- the coloring of this movie was a lot brighter which which to me made it feel like it pulled it out of the original's grittiness mm-hmm. to something that was happening in broad daylight i mean in the introduction of robert patrick's character is fucking scary like he's that, fucking scary <laughs> that is still the most terrifying movie villain to me like for several reasons but he is still just ultimately super terrifying because a he looks pretty standard. He doesn't like stand he's out. Very you know, he's very Ken dollish. Yeah, he he <laughs> could very much, and just the idea that oh, he's a cop. By the way, it just mm-hmm. really like as a little kid, you made me really kind of frightened because yeah, it's such a it's such a brilliant scary disguise, especially for suburbia, because it's like oh, he can go anywhere and mm-hmm. no one will do anything about it. Nobody right. and you know, and that's something where if you grow up like I did in suburbia where it's like, oh, everybody, you know, police are great. Police are fantastic. That idea is really kind of scary that, by the way, one of them could absolutely be a killing machine and no one's going to really do anything about it. And that's really scary. Yeah, it's frightening, especially as little kids and just kind of take us out of where where we sit in society today. Mm -hmm. But when little kids, that's what we're taught to do. We're taught to find a police officer, find somebody if we're in trouble and seek out, seek this out. So when you're a little kid and you see infiltration like that is mm-hmm. really terrifying because then it kind of cocks your trust a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it's like invasion of the body snatchers. It could be anybody. Yeah. It could be anybody at all. And that's what's really, really terrifying about it. On a sci-fi aspect, mm-hmm. what did you love about this film? I mean, to me, it was like, from a sci-fi point of view, is it all seemed so real. Like, one of the things I really appreciated that Cameron did, um, that he thought about was, you know, he's pushing visual effects technology and pushing um, special effects as far as he could go without breaking reality. Like, it was all, you know, you hear a lot about filmmakers who, like, oh, we want to push, you know, VFX and all this as far as possible. And sometimes that works, but sometimes you can go a little far. And anything that was like a little bit outside of believability, Cameron pulled back a little bit. He's like, I wanted to push the technology as much as I can up to the point of where you wouldn't believe it and just kind of mm-hmm. stay back. And so to me, from a sci-fi level, a liquid metal guy, I'm like, that makes so much sense. And I love the rules they established. He can't yeah. become a gun. He can't become a bomb. You know, he can become knives, he can become stabbing objects, but can't, you know, he can't do anything. So I loved the rules they established with him. Mm-hmm. And right up front, you know, you see the T-1000 doing stuff and you don't quite understand why at first. But uh, Arnold's Terminator explains, here are his rules, here's what he can't do. But even within that framework, he's still pretty unstoppable. You can't just shoot him and you can blow him up and he's just got to kind of walk out of it, you know. So even with those limitations, he's just, you know, so frightening. And I love that even the Arnold's Terminator, you know, they do a really good job in this movie. If you've never seen the first one, establishing what can he do and not do. Um, And what is he, what what can hurt him, what can't hurt him. So I I love that from a sci-fi aspect is it does a really good job of establishing its own rules and not breaking those. And 
instead of treating it like, oh, we set up this rule, so we can't do that. It kind of draws its own lines and colors within those own lines. And it creates this kind of beautiful masterpiece. And I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of filmmakers who kind of forget that part, that sometimes it's really kind of fun to color in those lines and you can create something that's really kind of spectacular, yeah. you know? And, and so that's, that's what I appreciate. And I like the callback to the original. It's, it's funny that you say that, not funny, haha, but I think it's, it's mm -hmm. interesting that we remember between the originals, Arnold's original Terminator and what his mission is now mm -hmm. is two completely different things. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that they did that well in bridging that that gap where w the last time we saw Arnold's Terminator and what mm -hmm. he's supposed to do now? Do you think that was well done or do you think they could have done something different with that? You know, it, it's tough because at the time, you know, uh, I've have since heard Cameron do, you know, interviews and stuff to where they were very conscious about setting up the movie at first to where you don't know which one of them is good or bad. Mm -hmm. And the whole movie's constructed like that. You have sort of an expectation of, you know, like, well, Arnold was a bad guy in the first movie. This new guy, I don't quite know where he's falling. He seems to have killed the one cop, but, are, you know, you're told at the beginning, one's good, one's bad. And so right. you, you can't quite figure it out yet. Um, and then the reveal once they finally meet uh, John Connor. But uh, it's a reveal that only works if you didn't see any of the promotional material. You didn't see any of the <laughs> where, like, Good Morning America is like, Arnold, you're good in this movie, right? You know, and so. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah. So, like, it, if you watch any of those, the twist is going to be ruined. But I, yeah. I think they did a good job of when they're creating this movie, just kind of ignoring that because if somebody watches it nowadays, they're not going to have that bombardment of the press, you know, especially if you're coming in cold, you've never seen any of the movies, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's much easier to buy into like the misdirection movies selling you. Um, yeah. So I, I would say it probably, if you're kind of pop culturally aware and you're aware of the franchise, it's probably a twist that doesn't work, but it works for the movie. It works for the mm -hmm. story. Um, and so I think they made the right call. I think ultimately you know, you got to kind of make your movie do what's best for, like, your film and not necessarily, like, be worried so much about spoilers or what the audience is bringing into it. You know, do it. Cameron's really good at doing what's best for his movies, not always right. for his actors behind the right. scenes, <laughs> and not always for his collaborators, right. which I, I have some issues. <laughs> it's not everything is, is great behind That's the scenes. That's all right. He's not listening to this, so it's fine. It's like he's he not, you know, he'll, you know. Um, and, but, and if he is Cameron, everything he's doing, you're, it's great. I, you know, it's everything. Fantastic, Jim. <laughs> Don't change a thing. Um, but in terms of story, he's uh, he's very, very good at like yeah. taking a, a story at a time and really thinking about the story itself, not what the outside world's going to think about it. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it because it's there's been a lot of things and a lot of choices that he had to fight with a lot of people for for you know. For Alien and and for, mm -hmm. for the, the whole Terminator franchise where he did not make fan films. And there's a lot of directors that make fan films and, right. and listen to it and, and take um, criticism to heart and try to change things and deviate. And he really did what was best for this story, I think. Yeah. And out of this story, because we're talking about T2 and it being so formative for you, was there a scene that you remember to where you're like, 
I have to do something like that, or that really pulled me in this direction to write that for my own work. One thing, you know, it's it's hard because there are so many, there are specific scenes that I love. I mean, the the one that just blew my mind as a kid, and it took me years to figure out how they did it, was, of course, you know, where he rips off the flesh from his arm. Yeah. Revealing the, you know, revealing the Terminator arm. But even as a kid, the idea that's being communicated to me, you know, because when I was that little, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the entire movie and what it's trying to show you. Mm-hmm. But even as a kid, it was so clear of the scene is trying to shock you with like, wow, look at, you know, this horrifying scene. But also I got as a kid that what the Terminator is actually trying to do is show the character Miles Dyson, who creates the, who creates Skynet, mm-hmm. is show him the arm. He's showing him the arm because Dyson has an exact one at the factory. So even yeah. as a kid, I'm like, oh, there's a reason he's doing that. He's not, you know, the Terminator's not just doing this because it's a cool special effect. Trick, the yeah. there's, there's a reason the Terminator is specifically doing that because how else are you to communicate, hey, I'm from the future, you kind of created me and mm-hmm. here's the proof, you know. And the actor, um, Joe Morton, his, uh, his acting throughout that entire, I mean, the entire movie, he's great. Mm-hmm. But you, you, he communicates so well. The oh my god! Like you just see him get what's going on, right? Despite the weird situation that he's in, he, it's all right. of a sudden becomes really clear. Like, that oh, scene <laughs> is always a standout to me. Yeah. But um, but throughout the whole movie, one one of the things I I really took away from it, especially as I was creating my own stuff, is nothing in that movie happens just because it happens. There's a reason why everything in the movie occurs. There's never a deus ex machina in the movie. Right. There's never like a hand of God. Every single thing that happens is because something else happened. And that's harder to do in a movie than you'd think, especially right. like when you're creating a film and you know, you're going through the whole process um, and you, you feel like I've got it rock solid on the script, but then you've got a bunch of other hands coming in when you go into mm-hmm. production. People want this to happen. People want this to happen. You're trying to explain as a writer, like, but if you do that, then this doesn't make sense. Exactly. Well, I don't care. This scene looks really cool. You know, so the the fact that you're able to pull that off in a movie of that scale is quite incredible. And that was something I really took away. Um, To the point, you know, in the movie, it's such a cause and effect movie. Two-thirds of the way through, they get away from the T-1000. Yeah. And there's a long stretch where it's like, hey, if they just stayed away, there would be no conclusion <laughs> be to the movie. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, the movie like spends could like have 15 minutes like, right. well, the story could kind of be over now, <laughs> you know, and it's right. not until Sarah makes a choice that all of a sudden something happens. So right. that that's which, what I really appreciate. Which really fits that formula that which is mm-hmm. like this happens and this happens and this happens and then this happens and then this happens until this happens, which is mm-hmm really great like you said on on the page that is the Mm -hmm. story until somebody says oh wait well what if this happens (laughs) you're like but it can't um or it shouldn't but I think that that was a great use of I'm not gonna say trickery but it was a great use of of pivoting us from Mm -hmm. what the storyline could be and and having that hero's choice um Mm -hmm. to make this final decision which leads us to the rest of the final third of the film yeah. What is, this is going to be really hard, and I always try to say one, but I know nobody can ever do one. Mm-hmm. What is your ultimate favorite scene of this movie? 
ultimate favorite scene is uh it's you know it's this is my like inner child but where Arnold is like <laughs> shooting up outside the building and just you know shooting all the police cars he's got the gatling gun and he's just you know shooting everything but i i love that scene because he's been given the order you can't kill anyone and right. i i love that that whole scene he's like okay with those parameters still goes out and he's shooting all the cars he's shooting like out all the tires he's like busting up everything doesn't kill anyone you know yeah. he, he he's just still like yep those are my orders that's what i'm gonna do he, he's got a grenade launcher i just love that scene because <laughs> at that point who could stop arnold like you know an entire right. police force you know are is useless against one terminator just mm -hmm. like yeah you can't do anything the only that, reason you're alive is because the terminator was ordered not to kill anyone right and that's what makes me laugh in movies like this that you know you have these crazy things like something like terminator or you have something if you go back and look at like die hard when they have like a bunch of terrorists in that and they just mm -hmm. <laughs> some local police right. <laughs> like yeah. everybody's just gonna tidy up um that cracks me up a lot but i love that when people talk about their favorite scene especially do and you know what folks we are an audio podcast but we're actually recording on zoom and just to see people's faces light up when they talk about everybody looks at the ceiling Everything yep. <laughs> everybody has to dream. And it's just great to see to see that, that the excitement in that. Now, out of that, is there anything that you wish that they had done differently or you're like, eh, I wish I'd have seen more of X? Um, really the the things about this movie that um I would change is because I really do prefer the extended edition because I think mm -hmm. there's just a little too much connective tissue cut out of the movie i mean the movie is obviously one of the biggest films of all time yeah its legacy has not suffered from any of these absences but i think it, it would be just a little bit greater there's a really great deleted scene where they take out you know the terminator's uh computer chip and it actually explains like why all of a sudden he's like learning to do things he's becoming more human it's a much clearer explanation of why is the terminator all of a sudden like he's able to smile naturally and why is he like you know learning about small little human things um mm -hmm. picking up little idiosyncrasies um and that's explained in that scene is if they take out the chip and reset it you know then the skynet parameters or whatever they explain are like is like reset and now he he's open to learn new things and they kind of gloss over it in a movie there's a little bit of adr they do that essentially sets up the same thing I just don't think it's as strong. And yeah. then there's little things with the T-1000 that they cut out that I think just kind of help clarify what is he doing? How does he work? How does his mind function? So, but again, you cut it out of the movie. It's not like you miss it until you know it's not there. Right. When you see the deleted scenes, you're like, oh, okay. That would have, that would have made it make a little bit more sense and stuff. So I think what we got was excellent. I just think it would have been an A++ had they left, <laughs> put those scenes in there, you know. A++. I yeah. like that. So I love asking these questions because it forces people to think a little bit. But could you describe, because this is a sequel, do you mm -hmm. think that you could rightfully describe this film to someone who's never seen anything about it? Yeah, in a few I, in a few sentences. Yeah, I think Hit the it. best way to describe it is a uh, a boy and his Terminator, uh, 
set off on an adventure that ends up deciding the fate of humanity. Oh, sick. <laughs> I was not prepared for you to do well, Will. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody I'm ever like, is. That's why I'm my writing <laughs> always comes off as okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. That's how I get them. Low no expectations. Exactly. And they're like, hey, you went slightly Under above. promise, over deliver. That's how you do right. it. <laughs> I love that. I did look up some trivia on this and a couple mm-hmm. things about Robert Patrick because he, I don't think that anyone else could have pulled off what he did in this film. No. And it's just how, how crazy eyed and how just severe mm-hmm. and razor sharp he was in this film. And it said that in order to practice for his Terminator, he researched the movements of a bald eagle's head for about three months <laughs> and implemented that into his character. Mm-hmm. And now, like, now you're thinking back on it, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> because he's got yes. that stare, you know. Yeah. He's yeah, got that then, total predator stare. Yes, yeah, the predator stare and then, like, the ticks and the movements of, like, it's just craziness. And then he practiced running up to 40 miles an hour, just yeah. breathing through his nose. So it yeah. would look like he wasn't winded when he was actually, what the fuck? <laughs> he, I mean, I he was know. so fast. Uh, you know, this, there's interviews where the stunt coordinator, um, where the stunt person was on the bike, who's supposed to be John Connor. Yeah. And, you know, them going at full speed and Robert Patrick in one take going right up, tapping the guy on the shoulder, you know. <laughs> And it's like, my God, <laughs> you know, like, so it's been... not like it's movie trickery. It's like, he's no. really moving that fast. He's really busting it out. And I'm like, first of all, method to the max, but yeah. I don't even understand that. Like me, I don't run until I'm chased. So I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't get, I don't get that. But I was, I was really impressed with that, which was really, really cool. And I feel like I could have gone on for hours. Just like, it was a rabbit hole. Look at all the trivia about how they had to like dig holes for uh, Edward Furlong to stand in because he was growing so fast and he was right. like seven inches taller than Linda Hamilton. And it was like, it was so weird. Yeah. They made it, they made it all work. And I think that that's great. But I feel like with this movie, because there is a lot going on and there is a lot to be said about, um, you know, making choices and redemption mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, really having this like fight or flight throughout the entire film because yeah. really Sarah's the only one that's like, I don't know if anybody knows this, but there's some right. shit about to go down. What do you feel like this movie is trying to say, if anything, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think this film is, um, it's got a couple things going on, but I think the big thing is it's warning us to to look ahead and be cautious of like kind of what we're doing, you know, mm-hmm. in a general sense, I think it's warning us that like um, our own technology, our own creations, if we're not careful, it can really get out of hand. And I, you know, and that's a very broad, cause that can mean a lot of different things. Sure. But it, it, you know, you could apply that to things like global warming, mm-hmm. like arms races, um, where it's easy to be like Miles Dyson. You're getting caught up in the possibilities of, oh, we can do this, this, and this, which is not necessarily evil, but if you're not paying attention, you're not careful, things can go wrong. So I think in a general sense, it's saying that, but more than that, I think there's a really hopeful message going on in this movie Mm -hmm. because the big thing that separates this from the first movie 
is the first movie is very fatalistic. The first movie very much ends on the war is coming. You know, we just need to get ready. And that that's it. That's fate. This mm-hmm. movie um, disagrees with that because the theme really is no fate, but what we make for ourselves. Right. And we see at the end of this movie, it ends literally with the shot of the open road. Like, well, okay, we don't know where it's going to go from here, mm-hmm. but you know, things like a Terminator can learn to appreciate human life. You know, people can change, you know, Miles Dyson doesn't, it does not end up being the destroyer of humanity. So thing change is possible and the future really is kind of what we make of it. So I, I like that this movie is very anti-fatalistic. Yeah. It's something that I very much taken to my personal life. Um, and I, I don't like movies where, you know, I shouldn't say I don't like movies. I find it's an <laughs> easy, it's an easy choice to make a movie about um, fate or destiny and being like, you can't change this. I feel like that's a very, that's an easier road to go down mm-hmm. because the road of, we don't know where things will go is harder or much harder. It's much more nebulous, but I, I like that this movie went that way. Cause I feel like it ends on a high note mm-hmm. despite Arnold being destroyed at the end of the movie, you know, I I think that this movie ends on a very positive note. After all the bad things that have happened in the movie, I love that it ends positively. That's a great, great way to, see, press, see, (laughs) under promise, over deliver. (laughs) I've had 30 years to think about this movie, so. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm giving you an outlet. That's, that's good. That's why I do that, because I feel like there, it's pet up, man. It's geeking out mm-hmm. and we need to talk about it. But I think that's an excellent way to look at it. And, and especially where we're headed, um, even in, if I will be honest, AI scares the fuck out of me. It really mm-hmm. does. And, you know, Boston Mechanics is always up to something. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're backflipping and now they're like smiling and hello and like reacting to if people are sad i can't take it and i don't know if i will survive if i see ai coming right. i will be your slowest friend i'm just gonna lay down and die <laughs> best of luck but uh, what i really like about this movie and i'm glad that you said that it ends on a positive note because it really is challenging you to think of the things that you are up against and how you in particular as an individual are going to handle them yeah everybody is going to take a different stance and mm-hmm. that's life yeah i mean it really is just an allegory for life but what do you feel about the the rest of the the terminator series is there anything that they got right is there anything they got wrong anything you're disappointed in oh did they did they make any effort to i think, <laughs> I think they just stopped too, you know? i heard rumors they made more but i don't believe any of them um <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> so, what, what I would say about the rest of the franchise. There's your answer. <laughs> is there's, I mean, none of them are good. Uh, I, I'm going to say that none of them are good. Um, I love it. Because they don't, What in this, I'll make this real quick. What Cameron does really well is he really does an excellent job. And we've seen this with aliens. He takes mm-hmm. a really, he's really good at looking what happened before. And then being like, okay, so those are the previous events. What would happen because of that? You know, and, you know, with uh, Alien, he wasn't uh, interested in replicating that movie. He was Mm -hmm. like, okay, so there are all these eggs. This evil company is aware of it. So 
therefore this would happen. They would establish a colony here. And if there's more eggs, then things are going to get out of hand. So I, I, he's really good with his first, you know, with the Terminator 2, thinking, okay, Sarah's now aware of the future. No one else is. Right. Um, the parts of the Terminator are left over. What would happen because of that? And what uh, all the Terminator sequels fail to do is think, okay, well, if we're going to do a part three, what would happen when there is no Terminator stuff? Like, what, what would be a continuation of that? You just now have mm -hmm. two people who are definitely wanted by the United States. <laughs> you know, they are definitely at the top <laughs> of the terrorist list. Yes. Sir. And uh, what would their life be like? And there's a few answers you could go there, but none of the Terminator, all the Terminator sequels seem to be interested in like, well, what if the Terminator could fly this time? Or what if he had a rocket launcher for an arm? It's, it's not taking into account what happened. Right, and right, that's right. where they all go wrong. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the mark of it. Well, I'm excited. I'm so happy that you were able to join me today. And he, this, he's got the patience of a saint because I was like, well, <laughs> Could you do it maybe next week and then the next week and then maybe next week is today good? Um, so that's been that's been very, very uh, gracious of you. So I appreciate that. Oh, no, I, you know, any chance that anybody gets me to talk about movies I like. I'm, Yay! Well, you can I'm, always I'm patient. Always <laughs> welcome back to the show. But I know we said it at the top of the show, but is there any place where the folks can find your work? Yeah. So Scare Us, which is a horror anthology, um, came out over the summer. I'm insanely proud of it. You know, you hear lots of horror stories about screenwriters who their first movie, you know, being rewritten or changed and you don't see any of themselves in their work. I see a lot of myself in the scenes that I wrote for that movie. Um, so I'm very proud of, of that film. Check it out. It's on uh, Amazon. Uh, yeah, Amazon, Apple. On most VOD services, scare us, not scare me. That's something completely different. <laughs> scare uh, us. Scare us. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, our the show I work for right this minute. If you want to see what the internet looks like, if it was positive and not a bad place, go to writethisminute.com. It's we and check us out. We're we're definitely wherever city you're living in, we're there. Um, we're on most ABC affiliates. Uh, it's just a positive, great show to work for. I love working with them. The hosts are fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, just if you want to find me, I'm on all, well, I'm mainly on Twitter. I'm a little bit on Instagram. Uh, I have a TikTok I don't use. But uh, <laughs> I, you can find links to uh, to most of my stuff and including my uh, novel, The Sea Scraper, that will fully come out this year. But you can read the first seven chapters for free. For now. For now. <laughs> it will probably it will probably go down to three chapters for free and then the rest of the book will be available i'm still working out kind of the details of that yeah i know how that is I'm trying to finish mm -hmm. 15 000 words away from finishing my book right now and i'm like i can't take it um yeah, yeah. so awesome so you heard it here where you can reach Will. But Will, thank you so much for talking about Terminator 2 today. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being patient with me. And I, I think that's all I have. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on. This was fun. Ah, yay. All right, folks. We will see you next week.